Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Kaylin McKenna. Kaylin joined Microsoft in 2011 after receiving her MBA from the University of Texas, Macomb School of Business, where she received a degree in marketing and entrepreneurship. After spending nine years leading marketing programs and teams for Windows Phone and Surface devices, Kaylin joined the AI and sustainability market development team, where she worked on digital equity initiatives dedicated to upskilling and reskilling customers, partners, and communities. Kaylin recently transitioned to sales, leading sales enablement and strategy for cybersecurity across the Americas. Outside of Microsoft, Kaylin enjoys spending time with her husband, two young children, and Bernice Mountain Dog as they hike, swim, and explore around the Pacific Northwest. Welcome to the show, Kaylin. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Great. Let's get started. So, Kaylin, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. I, I think what's interesting about my career journey, and I hope it resonates with others out there, is like a lot of folks in tech, that's not where my journey started. Um, I graduated from college with a degree in history. I moved to Washington, D.C. to work in politics. And after a couple years, I decided to go to business school and pursue an MBA. And when I was at business school, I started getting involved in different entrepreneurial societies, different tech clubs, and started to really get a passion around um technology marketing. I'd always had an interest in tech, particularly in how it had influenced political campaigns. That's really where my interest began. Um, and, but I hadn't thought about a career in it. I just, I, I didn't have a technical background. I hadn't, you know, I don't have a degree in computer science. And so I remember when I was first starting to interview at tech companies, just feeling this like deep feeling of imposter syndrome of, well, I don't have the background to be successful here. I'm a, I'm a history major. And what I heard resoundingly from every place that I interviewed was, you don't have to have a tech background to work in tech, um, particularly for the roles I was interviewing in, which were largely marketing roles. And I just remember being so surprised by that information and the idea that you know, this diversity of thought, this different background I have could could be of value to to a tech company. So I, I interviewed at a couple different tech companies during my MBA career um, and ultimately landed a role at Microsoft where I've been for the last 10 and a half years and have, you know, just had a really interesting journey from marketing to, to business development. Now I'm in sales and being able to see throughout my career 
all of the different ways that people can come in to a tech company and a career in tech. And it's it's a lot more diverse than what I understood it to be, you know, back when my journey first began. I'm so glad you went through that because I'd love for our listeners to understand that all technology careers don't belong, don't begin with technology, right? So yeah. that's really great. And technology marketing, you can still not be a technical guru, but still understand how technology and marketing uh, meet and how you can use that technology to leverage great marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember in one of my interviews, you know, when I was talking about not having a technical background, I, the interviewer kind of stopped me. We can teach you the products. We can teach you the tech. What we're looking for is someone who you know, knows how to do the storytelling, is able to really think through the business processes. And um, and that's something that stuck with me as I've applied for, for each subsequent role I've had is just that, that remembering of it's not about being a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to learn the business, learn the technology, and then bring your skill set to the table to add value and really being, as we like to say sometimes at Microsoft, like a learn it all, right? Like constantly learning and and building. Yeah, we we think the same way because continuous learning is just part of our DNA. And we are obviously in the learning channels. So we are always teaching and training people. But I always say, if you're not continuously learning, you're dead. So you just have to keep refreshing and learning more and more and technology changes so rapidly that it gives you that opportunity to always learn. Yep. That's yeah, great. That was that was what was so appealing to me about tech marketing when when I was first really, you know, learning about it in business school is oh my gosh, you know, the industry's changing so quickly, like the stories you need to tell, the um, customers you need to reach, the problems you need to solve. They they change so fast and it gives you you know, so much room for, for creativity and innovation. I think that's what makes life fun, right, Jennifer? Like that constant learning, growing, pushing yourself to, to find what's next. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this podcast is focused on bridging employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. What are you seeing in the industry today? Yeah, I I really love this question. Um, and I think it's so important. Um being in the industry for the last 11 years, I mean, I do believe it. it's moving forward. You know, anecdotally, I know that I feel more comfortable showing up as my authentic self at work, mm-hmm. not just at Microsoft, but with our customers and partners. And I know some of that's attributable to my career growth and increased experience, but I think it's also attributable to just this shift in cultural landscape. Mm-hmm. Um you know, these practices that we have for really creating space for others to speak, and also the evolution of language that gives words to, you know, lived experiences, like mansplaining, for instance, like that Mm -hmm. word wasn't a word when I first came into the industry. (laughs) And now it's, it's, it's one that not only are people aware of, but people are cognizant of, you know, that not being the best way to run a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also see this increased level and commitment to allyship and not just for women. And I think that's super critical. Um, But one of the, you know, we still don't have the same representation and leadership from women as you would expect based on population. 
And of course, you know, that's heightened when we look at intersectionality, you know, when we think about women of color, trans women, gender nonconforming people, women with disabilities, et cetera, there's definitely room to bring more diversity, more diverse voices to the table. And, and we know there's still a pay gap problem. Um, mm -hmm. And we know, again, it's heightened across those areas of intersectionality. And so I think it really takes each company looking looking at their leadership teams, looking at their entire organization and, and making sure that they aren't falling into the same patterns that we've seen for, you know, for so long historically. Um, it's it's going to take folks really committing to making that change and being really intentional about, about moving the dial forward. No, so true. So true. You know, yeah, we are seeing definite progress. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah. I just wish it was faster, but no, right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, I just had a stat that I read the other day and it said the share of women as tech CEOs jumped from 3.9% in 2020 to 10.9% in 2021, which is an incredible growth, incredible increase. And maybe it's signaling some accelerated progress in 2021 and beyond. I don't know. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, I hope so. you know, one one dot does not a trend line make, but I like that dot. Jennifer. Yeah, like, I, I like do too. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you were absolutely right, because another stat said 48% of women in STEM jobs report discrimination in the recruitment and hiring process. Um, so, you know, women are feeling that. And then that number is even heightened by Black or Hispanic women who majored, had majors in computer science and engineering, but they're less likely to be hired in a tech role um, you know, compared to their white co counterparts. So that's sad. You know, I, we really need to change that. You know, we, abs we absolutely do. And when you think about spaces that people are looking to break into, right, you know, 3% to 10% of um, women CEOs or whatnot, mm -hmm. it, it would be easy for my daughter, who's almost four, to look at that and be like, oh, only 10%, I don't belong there. Right. And so when you have other and then you add the diversity elements to that and it's even more stark, right? And so mm -hmm. when you see these, these women doing remarkable things, majoring in computer science, saying, I'm going to go into tech and then them not getting, yeah. you know, opportunity, it just plays into that negative narrative that might already be living in their head, that imposter syndrome of, oh, Maybe I don't really belong here. And to me, that's just tragic. Right. Um, because there's space for everyone. And I mean, I think Sachi has talked about it a lot really well, particularly on the subject of accessibility. Mm -hmm. But without his lived experience of having children that have had different needs mm -hmm. and really understanding how that, how tech can help with those needs, um, you know, it's just, it's changed the way he's thought about accessibility, how he hires for accessibility and making sure that people who are actually needing the technology are the ones designing the technology, right? Right. right. I think it's, it's critical. So true. I mean, it's just, you know, I think 
tech organizations like Microsoft are making strides in inclusion and in diversity in, you know, equity. And equity is so critical. I know we both share a passion uh, in, in digital equity, and I chair a tech equity committee where, you know, I have a board of advisors that I brought in from underserved communities to really understand where, where it's lacking, where there is no equity in the tech world. And it's on broadband, it's on um, devices, it's on many, many different areas, you know, and skilling is also part of it. So that's that was the entrance for my journey. But still, um, what are your thoughts as to how do we create more equity in the technology industry? Because we really need to. There's so many underserved communities that are just uh, lacking the resources in order to to be, you know, at the table. Yeah, no, I, that's a great question. I think one of the things, and we've touched on it a little bit, is really hiring with intention. Mm -hmm. We need to really think about what diversity means and what diverse teams mean. And for a long time, I think folks were really spun up on diversity is how you look. So if I, you know, recruit from the top 10 universities, but I'm recruiting people who are Hispanic or Latino or mm -hmm. Black, or women, then I have a diverse team. Um, but diversity is so much more about how we look. Mm -hmm. It's our lived experiences. It's our culture. It's how we think. It's neurodiversity. It's ability, right? And to really look at a team and say, you know, I want to have diversity, that means we can't just recruit the same places we've always been recruiting. We have to start recruiting from different places. And and that's some of that's really the work that first introduced us, right, um, Jennifer, which is mm -hmm. how do we think about hiring folks for skills versus degrees? Mm -hmm. How do we partner with great organizations that are doing this work that are going into underserved communities, working to close the digital divide, you know, working to get people proficiency in tech so that they can do an entry level tech job? Maybe they don't have a college degree. Maybe some of them don't even have a high school equivalency, but they know how to code and they can, they have the skills to do jobs. They should be considered. Yes. And I, I think for, you know, the longest time, historically, you know, organizations are, well, you have to have a college degree because it means you have ABC, XYZ capability. And and I just don't believe that narrative that we've taught ourselves is, is entirely factual. I think there's so much talent in different communities and it's not a lack of talent and it's not a lack of capability, it's a lack of opportunity. So how do we give folks the skills that they need? And then how do we start to shift the hiring landscape, you know, not just in the US, but worldwide to truly give those people an opportunity to come in and do the work because if they're skilling from zero to proficiency imagine what they can learn once they're on the job absolutely absolutely and giving that opportunity and that's where inclusion comes in i love what you said about hiring with intention hire hire with the end in mind you know what is the goal what do you want to accomplish and then find the right talent not if they have a degree or they don't have a degree understand their resilience understand their knowledge 
transfer abilities? How can they take the skill and act on it and execute on it? So we need to be thinking that way. And when you have a diverse workforce, man, it is so good because you get so many thought processes. It studies show that it adds definitely a lot to the bottom line, you know, from a revenue standpoint, but that's just a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And then I think adding on to that is it's not just the hiring piece is critical, but then how do you ensure people have the right support so that mm-hmm. they stay? whether that's through different employee resource groups so that folks feel a sense of community and belonging, whether it's through some different coaching for people who maybe, you know, haven't had a adult in their life who worked in corporate America before and don't necessarily know what that looks like culturally. How are you, you know, really giving people a, a safe place to land once they join your organization. I think that's super critical as well, because you can hire a wonderfully diverse team, but if people don't feel valued, seen, um, heard, they're going to go work somewhere else. And so how are you, once you have that team in place, once you're hiring with intention, how are you doing retention with intention as well? Mm -hmm. Right. And really building that, inclusive and equitable environment where people feel like they can show up as their authentic selves because that's critical, right? You think about how much brain power gets lost to covering or trying to fit in. Um, where if you just, you know, let Kaylin McKenna show up and be Kaylin McKenna, like the amount of creativity and time and brain power she has is so much more than if I feel like I have to show up and behave a certain way that's outside of my authentic being. And so I think that piece is really important too. Yeah, you're spot on with that. You know, inclusion is so important. And then having allies, we talked a little bit about allies. It is so important to have allies within the organization that will give people a voice if they're not able to share themselves, but give them a voice, stop somebody and give them a chance to speak, you know, to really feel included and feel part of the team. We really practice that in our organization every day. And sometimes it's easy because it's easy not, it's not easy to see the ones that are not being included because the ones that are loud and speak and have a voice are always the first ones to talk. But now I pause and give others a chance to speak. And if they don't want to speak verbally, they want to chat in the um, in the chat box, that's fine. Everybody yeah. is do can contribute in a different way and it doesn't always have to be the same. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, on some of the teams I've managed, I learned quickly the folks who were going to be quick to speak in the room mm-hmm. and the ones who would sit a little bit more quietly, but always had something really insightful to provide. Yes. I also mm-hmm. learned that those folks did not like being put on the spot, right? So if I was like, you know, hey, what would you like to contribute? That mm-hmm. often shut down more. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of times it would be connecting after the meeting, being like, I saw that you were thinking something. Do you want to share with me what it was? And then encouraging them to then share that in the next meeting. And then once you start to build more comfortability with sharing, demonstrating to folks that their ideas belong, that their ideas valued, then you start to see them not be so trepidatious about Mm -hmm. participating, right? And so so really building that psychologically safe environment, I think is, is really important. 
No, that's great. And I love that, you know, if it's not in that meeting to take them aside later and just ask them, I know you had something and you always have something valuable to say. So share with me, maybe I can share it with the team, you know, that kind of thing. That's great. Stay tuned for the rest of today's interview after a brief word from our sponsor. Are you an expert in your field? Are you a woman who values thought leadership? We'd love to have you join us as a guest on an upcoming episode of Tech in the Right Direction. Visit us at directionstraining.com forward slash podcast to apply today. While there, be sure to check out Directions Training's newest initiative, the WIT Cloud Power Scholarship for Azure Fundamentals Certification. This year, we have offered 100 scholarships to women for the Microsoft Azure Fundamentals Training Course, valued at $950 per student as an opportunity to start their pathway to becoming a Microsoft Certified Professional. Help us continue to drive social change and the advancement of women in the technology industry. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. We now rejoin our host, Jennifer Didier, with today's guest. So um, I know being at Microsoft and in a technology position and now in a sales position, your position's very demanding. I mean, just the hours in the day just go by. And finding balance between work and family is always a challenge, especially even for me, you know, and I don't have little kids at home, but still it's always a challenge. And working from home makes it even harder. I work many more hours than I would if I went to the office because maybe I'd stop and talk to somebody or whatever, and maybe I'd go out to lunch. Now I eat lunch at my desk. I Everything is you done know. right here. <laughs> So tell tell me what tips can you provide, especially me and our listeners, some uh, that are experiencing this work-life balance challenge? Yeah, um, I also eat lunch at my desk. So on the mm-hmm. lunch side, I'm not going to be much of a help. But <laughs> um, yeah, I and we've talked a little bit about this, but you know, I'm I'm in the phase of early parenting where trying to find and create balance between work and family can feel just impossible at times. You know, my kids are one and almost four, and they are the best. Mm -hmm. And spending time with them is not, is not optional. You know, they Mm -hmm. will let me know that they need my time and attention. And, um, and it's, and it's not optional for me either. It's an important part of my being, my, you know, my mental health to get, to get time with them each day. And so one of the things that, that I found that works well, you know, for us during the workday is, and and we've been lucky enough to be able to have them in daycare during this last, these last couple of years, which I know is not everyone's lived Mm -hmm. experience in reality. So that is a privilege that we've had um, because it's given our family a schedule, not just Mm -hmm. them a schedule. It gives me a schedule, right? Right. They have to go there at a certain time. I have to pick them up at a certain time. Um, And, but one of the things that really I've done that was different from before I had kids was I sign off completely when they come home, we do dinner, we do bedtime. That is that there's no work on the phone, the computer's put away um, just so that I'm able to, to get that time with them. Mm-hmm. If I have to go back and do something, I'll sign back online later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my favorite evenings are when I don't, but you know, mm-hmm. sometimes there's busy seasons and sometimes right. you have to do that. But I, 
and it, and it took a while to retrain my brain to like turn it off, focus on tiny people, turn it back on, refocus on work. But I'm glad I built that muscle because it allows me to be a lot more present with them when I'm with them. And then the other thing is just, you know, setting boundaries. Like I, I don't look at mail on the weekends. My managers know this. If they need to reach me and there's something that they need me for, send me a text. And if, and I'll get to it. Like if, if it's absolutely critical, I'll help, but I'm not going to be the person who's just combing through emails on a Saturday morning. Like that's not what's going to work for me and my family. Um, so just setting those boundaries and communicating those boundaries so that other folks, you know, know them and respect them. And I will say that what I've seen on the teams I've been on over the last two years is a lot of people are setting that weekend boundary because of exactly what you said, Jennifer. They're like, I'm working so many hours during the week. I'm eating lunch, sometimes dinner at my desk Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, a lot of people are really starting to protect that time. And then the other thing that I look to do is carve out, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but sometime each day to do something that's just for me. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's writing a couple postcards to some good girlfriends to stay in touch. Maybe it's you know, going for a walk with the dog, maybe it's doing exercise and meditation, yoga, whatnot. Um, Sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's 45, sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's after the kids go to bed. But I've found that having that time that's just focused on me um, is, is just super helpful in remembering who I am as an individual outside of both work and family. Cause I'm so much more than, you know, a mom and an employee. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I love this. So these are great, great uh, thoughts and uh, advice. I love the setting the boundaries, which, you know, is, is really important, but I think where people forget is to communicate those boundaries. So people are not like, taken aback and said, oh, I didn't get a response, you know, right. no, I, this is family time. I need to be with my family. I'm, I'm raising my kids to be good adults, to be good people, and they need attention in order to do that. That's so important. You know, this is now that next generation that you are actually training and raising, I guess. So that's so important. And then I love that you took me me time because that is, whether it's 15 minutes or 45 minutes, at least you're taking that time out of the day. I need to do more of that. And I, I love that piece, you know, to write a postcard or just write in a journal, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that means to each person. So great, great advice, Kaylin. I love it. All right. So let's talk about leadership next. You know, we've all had bosses, some good, not so good. What are some of the qualities that women possess that make us great leaders? Yeah, I, I think when I think of the great leaders that I've worked for, and some of them have been men and some of them have been women, mm-hmm. the really the piece that always stands out to me is who are the folks who sat with me to hear what my goals were, ask how they can help, mm-hmm. and then make sure that I felt seen and heard and valued in my work. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there is something about how we as women kind of come up in community with each other, where um, we have a lot of practice in making folks feel seen and heard. Like we 
might have a little bit more practice talking about emotion or um, or those those types of pieces. I I don't like to fall into this gender stereotypes of like, you know, women are more empathetic or women are more of this. But I when I think about um, you know female friendships and what those can look like, I think a lot of what we practice in supporting our friends and supporting our community are things that make women great leaders and managers because that's really what you're doing as a leader and a manager is is nurturing is supporting is listening is helping people build and dream and become and that's mm-hmm. something that i practice with my tiny people every day <laughs> um sometimes with a great deal of patience and sometimes with less right mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm you know, really listening to them. Um, and and the great piece of the practice I have now is a lot of the communication we're getting from our youngest, of course, is completely nonverbal. You know, he's only mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reading, you know, reading his different signs for like when he needs something. Last night, he was very upset about getting out of the bath. So we had to talk mm-hmm. through that with him a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think those are all great moments of practice for how you, um, for how you lead and and grow people at work. And you don't have to be a mom to have practiced that. You don't have to be a woman to have practiced that either. I just, um, you know, do believe that I've had more opportunities in my lived experience to practice those skills than maybe some other people have had. Yeah, I think you're spot on on the leadership um, qualities that make great leaders. Uh, I love who sat with me to hear my goals, to help me to be seen and heard and valued. Those are so important. And that's whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Anybody, right? Everybody wants to be seen and heard. Everybody wants to have that attention from their leaders to say, how can I help you? How can I help you reach your goals, whether they be personal or professional? Doesn't matter. So that that is great. I love that. Yeah, I think there's just something really wonderful about someone telling you, like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. How can I help? Mm-hmm. I think that's some of the just best words I can hear someone say. Like, whether you you're use here it or with not. me, right? You're in community. And oh, and you want to help me. Like, that's, that's amazing. Like, let's think of how we can, you know, build together. I think those right. words are just so wonderful. No, that's great. And I love that you're taking this now to your kids and really taking you're you're not only teaching them, but you're also teaching and learning for yourself. How do I be more patient? How do I make sure that I'm listening to them and they're seen and heard, whether they speak or not, if they're having nonverbal, you know, reactions to address them? I love that. That's such a great you're such a great mom. <laughs> oh, thank you. The nonverbal thing helps at work too. Like, right. Yeah. When you're really in tune with a tiny child about like, oh, this person needs something. Mm-hmm. Adults do the same nonverbal stuff. If That's you watch. True. That's right? true. And, yeah. um, and so when I was managing my team, if folks felt comfortable, I would always, you know, encourage them to, in, in this hybrid environment, encourage them to go on camera. Cause you can pick up more of those nonverbal cues of, okay, they're saying everything's fine, but what I'm seeing behind their eyes is that they might need a little bit more help or something else might be going on and how can we kind of, you know, lean in to be as supportive as possible. Yeah, what a great mom, what a great leader you are. That's amazing. So I love to travel. 
and I'm sure you do as well. I do. Tell me, tell me what's your favorite place that you've been to and why? And this is kind of selfish because then I learn and I make a bucket list for myself if it sounds great. So tell me yeah. your favorite place and why. Um, I'm going to cheat and give you two. Okay. So I've, uh, I've been very fortunate in my life um, and have been able to travel quite a bit. And when I was 23, I was an au pair for a summer in Italy uh, to a wonderful family with a six-year-old boy, which was when I first started learning some of these practices, right? Mm -hmm. There's more being communicated here than I, than I realized. Mm -hmm. And um, we did a vacation together um, as a family to Sardinia. Um, on the southern and into Velasimus, which is on the southern end of the island. And like the Mediterranean was so blue and mm. the cliffs are orange and it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And the natives of Sardinia are kind of known for living for a very long time. There's a, mm. a lot of longevity on the island from the seafood that they eat and the specific wines that they drink. And so the, the food was amazing and the scenery was amazing. And I, I got to teach the little boy how to swim, mm. um, which is something I'm really passionate about. I grew up swimming. So I taught him how to swim in the pool. And then eventually we'd go swim in the sea together. Mm. And it was just this like very magical um, time of my life and of self-discovery. And then um the other place that I feel so fortunate to have traveled to was when I was in business school, we would do these connection trips to a country where we'd meet with business leaders, meet with community leaders, and then at the end have some time to do, you know, some more touristy things. And I was able to go to South Africa ah. and we were able to meet with incredible business leaders. Um, we, you know, did work within the different, um, some of the different communities there, whether it was distributing lap desks to children who didn't have access to desks at home or going into, um, you know, other, other places within the country. And we went to Robin Island and it just gave me so much respect for that country and how, you know, apartheid didn't end that long ago. Mm -hmm. um, I was alive when it was still going, you know, we were all alive when it was still going on on this, you know, you and I, but it was in the early nineties. Like that's not a long time ago. No, right. To see the work that the country has done to acknowledge that pain and to come to healing. I think a lot of societies could benefit from taking a similar approach. I'll That's that. great. Oh, my gosh. So Sardinia is going on my list and South Africa is on my list already. <laughs> so that's amazing. I've been to Italy, but not to Sardinia. So, yeah, just, you know, what you said about it just sounds amazing that I want. It's, it's really magical. That. Yeah. That's great. Well, Kaylin, this was such an honor to have you. And in closing, what advice would you give a woman considering a career in tech? technology? Just that the, a career in technology, I think, is a lot broader than what we might have initially thought. It's not only the developer side or the engineering side. There's so many different ways to be in technology, whether it's marketing, business development, sales, skilling work, um, you know, and, and if you have interest in it, you can do it. 
there's so many different paths to do it. And, um, you know, let's let us as women who I think sometimes are our biggest self-critics get out of, get out of our heads and into our hearts and just say like, I can do it. I love that. That's great advice. And that's what we need is that confidence just to say, I can do it. And then we're amazingly surprised as to what, how much we can do because we can. That's great. All right. So please share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. So the best ways on LinkedIn, um, Kaylin McKenna and, um, yeah, happy to continue the conversation with anyone who finds me there. That's great. Well, Kaylin, this was such an honor. I just, I, I feel so good with our conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for days. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time. I truly appreciate you. And I hope to have you on a show in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.